The Stone and Tile Show is proud to be sponsored by the National Tile Contractors Association. The NTCA is a leading trade association in the tile and stone industry dedicated to professional installation of ceramic tile and natural stone. With more than 1,500 members representing thousands of installers, NTCA works hard to be a strong voice for proper installation and qualified labor. The association invests in a professional staff to provide technical support and assistance and offers free educational seminars and regional training opportunities around the country. To learn more about what the NTCA can offer for you or your business, go to the website www.tile-assn.com. That's www.tile-assn.com. Good evening, folks, and welcome to yet another edition of the Stone and Tile Show. I am your host, Fred Houston. Now, folks, if you remember uh, last week, if you listened to last week's podcast, we had uh, Pasha on, and we've actually had Pasha on uh, more than once uh, talking about this issue that we have uh, with the discoloration or the moisture that's occurring in especially the white Carrara marble floors. Uh, We're not going to get into that experiment as detailed as Pasha has gotten into, but we want to approach it from a, from a different aspect. Now, as you all know, I've been helping Pasha with this experiment, and he also reached out to someone else who we're going to interview today, and that is uh, Foster Lyons. And Foster Lyons is a chemical engineer and a chemist. And, uh, you know, rather than reading your entire resume here, Foster, I want to kind of let you introduce yourself and tell us a little about yourself and your company. So welcome, Foster. Well, welcome. Uh, thanks for inviting me. It's a great honor, Dr. Houston, uh, and hopefully, uh, I'm sure we'll have a great conversation. Um, Absolutely. Me. Let's see about me. Well, uh, educationally, I am a chemical engineer. I got a master's degree out of Michigan State University and started up on a PhD at Columbia before I decided I'd have enough of it. Uh, did. <laughs> uh, uh, a few years, uh, four years of work as a chemical engineer, uh, process design, uh, research and development stuff in the zeolite molecular sieve division at Union Carbide, but then uh, changed careers and went into uh, construction, and then uh, over the years uh, transitioned into being uh, an, a building science consultant. So these days I am a, uh, a building scientist. So there you have it. And I, I work right. out of... Uh, Connecticut, uh, and um, stay busy doing this sort of thing. Is it snowing up there yet? <laughs> you know, just today. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's the sad truth. Uh, as I, I was out a little bit today, and I drove back to my house, and it was snowing. Not a lot, but Uh-oh. a little bit's enough to ruin your day. Well, I won't rub it in to tell you how nice it is here in Florida, although we we got really cold last night. We got, I woke up this morning to let the dog out. It was 40 degrees out, which... That's probably flip-flopping short weather for you guys, but here it's uh, you break out the winter coats. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, do you even have the clothes? Do you even have the clothes for that? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> we got got to dig into my uh, my northern clothes. <laughs> well, let's yeah. let's get right yeah. into the meat of this. And and what's interesting, and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is is to kind of give us a different perspective from the building scientists' uh, per- perspective. I mean, I've preached this. Uh, on and on and on over the last two years I've been doing this show as well as Pasha has been on a couple of times and obviously, you know, Pasha. So uh, I'm going to pretty much give you the mic here, but we're going to start out with, uh, you know, 
we want to understand how moisture enters the stone and, and the properties and, and what goes on uh, with this particular issue in general. So the mic is yours, Foster. Sure. Wow, thank you. That's a, 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 gave me a, a, a broad runway there, so to speak. Um, there you go. So, the, you know, I'm going to sort of take a step back and say, like, in general in the building industry, um, the vast majority of materials we use have a one awful characteristic. They're porous. So wood is porous, stone is porous, concrete is porous, and, and darn near everything else we build with, with the exception of glass and steel, is porous. So the, the, the vast majority of the natural, not the vast majority, 100% of the natural stone material we use in what we would call you know, tile applications has some amount of porosity. Some of that porosity is uh, very small uh, in, in terms of like percentage volume of the stone, and some is rather large. Like, a, you know, you see some travertines have enormous amount of porosity. Right. And truth be told, the water gets into those porous materials um, in different ways. And when I say different ways, like it's like the majority of the water that gets in, depending on the stone and depending on its porosity, depending on some of its other characteristics, enters the stone in different ways. But not to get too into the weeds, but it's sort of the typical natural stone that you might use in a shower stall or that sort of thing in a wet area. Um, the vast majority of the water gets into that stone uh, by capillary action. So in the same way when you stick a straw into a uh, a soda, you know, and a little bit of the soda wicks wicks up into the straw. It, it does that because of what we call capillarity. The surface tension of the liquid um, is attracted to the, the interior surface of the straw and literally gets pulled up against the force of gravity on a straw. Um, and that same thing happens in pores uh, on natural stones that are used in, in wet areas. If a little bit of liquid gets on that stone. Um, it will, by capillary action, get pulled into the stone, you know, 99.99 times out of 100. Now, what that means for a, um, a, a stone tile installation or a slab floor or wall installation is if the water sits on the surface, and the surface is not sealed with a, a, a surface sealer, not a penetrating sealer, a surface sealer, mm-hmm. the water can t- touch the stone, it can touch those pores, and will get sucked into the stone. But water also, the other porous thing around uh, tiles, and I'm sure you spent a lot of time speaking with Pasha about this, is the grout that's on either side of the stone and the setting bed or the thin set mortar that's beneath the stone. Both of those materials have a different porosity than the the stone tile, but they're both porous to some degree. So they both also um, pull water into them by capillarity. Now, the second mechanism for getting water into stones is just straight up gravity. Same with your your grout, and the same with the setting bed underneath. Like you know, gravity acts on everything on Earth, and it 
you know, if you pour water on a floor, gravity is trying to pull that water into that material. Sometimes it's hard to wrap your head around that because you, you even need to take a very close look at a at a, a grouted tile floor. You really can't see any gaps or holes or cracks or anything. So how the heck could this possibly gravity pull this in? Well, water is really composed of very tiny things. <laughs> so right. water molecules themselves are incredibly small. They're about uh, two or three angstroms across. And like I forget about describing what an angstrom is. All oh, you know, just figure. <laughs> You know, Google it. it's across the yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like way smaller than you can possibly imagine, right? Like, right. And, and you know, multiply that by a million. Right. Um, but liquid water doesn't actually move around as individual water molecules. It moves around in clumps of water molecules that are maybe twenty-five to two or three hundred molecules all clumped together. They're like a they're really like a liquid crystal, except they're constantly in motion, and they're constantly changing with their neighbor clumps and et cetera. And this is one of the reasons a material like Tyvek can prevent liquid water from going through but allows water vapor to go through. Water mm -hmm. vapor is individual two or three angstrom materials. Now, back to liquid water on the floor. So... A, a, a liquid ball of, you know, 100 or 200 water molecules is still incredibly tiny. You know, I don't, I don't do the math, you know, pi r squared and divided by d and all that, but, um, <laughs> but a very microscopically tiny crack will look like the Grand Canyon to a, a, a clump of two or 300, you know, water molecules. And so now imagine, you know, a ping pong ball on top of the Grand Canyon and gravity pulling it down. It'll go down. There's plenty of room for it and all of its neighbors too. Uh, it'll pull that clump in. Um, and then when it gets pulled into a tiny crack between the grout and the tile or in the tile itself or around the edges or around the drain pipe or any other place that you microscopically get cracks, um, it gets it drops in and get you know by gravity and gets pulled in by capillarity, and then once it's down there, then it it further gets pulled into all the tinier pores, tinier crevices that are in the stone, in the grout, in the thin set mortar, in the cement setting bed underneath, and any other crack and crevice that's that's available. It's, uh, water's very mischievous. Yep. If you let it hang around, it'll 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 cause trouble. So I don't know if I answered your question. Or, yes, uh, absolutely. And I'm sure that, there's that, other that mechanisms. Was... There there is another mechanism that gets it in there. By the way, it can it can point as a vapor. Um, I was gonna, that was my next question. Think... Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This uh, yeah. it's a thing. Um, it's much more what I would say call esoteric. It's very it 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 happens uh, and it's happening all the time. Um, so just imagine you have a steam room, which is a little easier to imagine this scenario. Um, you know, steam sauna, which so it's got you know your 100% relative humidity basically, 
that's a lot of water vapor. And water vapor is not like liquid water. Water vapor kicks around and goes through life as single molecules bouncing around with oxygen and nitrogen molecules. And, you know, that they collide amongst each other and they collide against whatever they're in or the walls and floors and ceilings or whatever they're in. So as these water vapor molecules collide with the natural stone of the floor, wall, ceiling, wherever, a certain number of them will zip right through and into those pores that exist in that material. And again, like it, these are even less than microscopic pores, I would say. These pores are so tiny, you probably need an electron microscope to see some mm -hmm. of them. But again, they're enormous compared to the size of an individual water molecule. Again, it's sort of the comparison is, you know, the water molecule is a ping pong ball and the pore is the Grand Canyon. Like it'll, not only will one go zipping in, but probably millions or trillions will go zipping in and out and hit a wall in the pore and bounce out and in and out and in and out. And I think that's, I think that's, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think that's an excellent point because my, what, what my, that's exactly where I want to go with my next question. And that is when we, when we seal the floor with these impregnators, you know, all these impregnators have a great marketing tool they use constantly. Oh, this stuff is breathable. It's vapor permeable, uh, whatever other, you know, terminology they want to use. And, and you just explained that even though, these floors, walls, wherever this particular stone is sealed with those impregnators, vapor can still get in. Is that correct? Uh, that is 100% correct, but it's I, I, I don't I'm, I'm going to use a bad word if any of the, the manufacturers oh, okay. any of those products are online, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say it's it's worse it's worse than that. Sealers do a very good job of making surfaces hydrophobic, meaning they don't like water. So right. water, liquid water does not stick well to those surfaces. Sealers do nothing for cracks or holes. It's not like a paint sealer that fills up gaps and holes. This is a, you know, sealers of the, of the variety that you're describing work on a microscopic level. So they're literally coating the interior of the pores in the natural stone. But if there's a tiny little hairline crack around, you know, the drain or between two tiles or where the floor meets the wall and that sort of thing, the sealer does nothing for that. And, and I, I frequently get in conversations, so, you know, some of the manufacturers have integral you know, integral sealers, you put it in with the grout and this and that. Right. And I always have to say to them, like, that's great. You know, your grout's a little more hydrophobic. But if there's a crack, guess what? The water can go in that crack. It's not yep. waterproofing. <laughs> so, um, and, the, and the, the other thing I'd say about sealers is, uh, or I, and I hope all the manufacturers are listening, and I hope they all call me tomorrow, because I'm still <laughs> looking for a single uh, manufacturer to tell me what the vapor permeability of their material is. Now, I, I know why they can't, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but, you know, whatever the number is, what I know for sure is they're not 
improving or increasing the vapor permeability of the stone-to-air boundary. They're decreasing the vapor permeability of the stone-to-air boundary. They're making it more difficult for vapor to move. So, you know, we already talked, like, we we know how liquid gets in. Yeah, capillarity, cracks, pores, et cetera, gravity. Now that it's in there, one of the ways it comes out is back through the surface of the stone as vapor. But if there's a sealer there, for sure, it's decreased the, the, the speed at which that can happen. Right. Yeah, which is, um, which, is, which, is, which is why a lot of manufacturers have my photograph on their dartboards. And I guess after this podcast, your photo will be right <laughs> next to mine. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, I but, tell them all, get in line. Take exactly. A but you know that that brings me to a, another another thing that can occur and let's let's take a simple example. You know, you wake up in the morning, you hop in the shower and it's it's it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a steam shower, it can just be a a really really hot shower. Uh you turn the shower off, you walk off, you leave the door open and all of a sudden it gets really really cold. What about condensation? Can condensate can condensation occur in these installations? And if so, explain that. Well, uh yes. It can. Um, so, you know, everybody understands condensation, luckily, because everybody drinks cold beer. Um, right. <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't think condensation is nearly as much of a factor with regard to um, you know, water getting into stones as to just running your shower and getting it wet from the shower, you know, because this the the volume of water is just so much greater in your shower. Quite frankly, I'm always trying to explain to people the the wettest place on the surface of the earth is your shower stall. It, it, right. it, you know, you do the math, and there's more inches of rain per year in the typical shower stall than in the rainiest town out in the in the mountains down in Colombia, South America. Anyway, um, but ignoring that. Uh, yes. So let's just say, you know, your shower is sitting there. You used it some other time during the day um, and it, everything looks totally cool and, you know, fine and et cetera. So absolutely water vapor from the room, you know, from your bathroom or from your, the, the shower stall space is uh, moving in and out of the, the porous stone floor, wall, you name it, right? And right. I'm sure I'll, we'll talk a little bit about more. This will get more and more detailed as we go on here. But let's just like, you know, shrink your mind down as if, you know, we're not, we now went into Alice in Wonderland and you know, the, the land of the Lilliputians. And you're a, 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 a water molecule that just, you know, flew into a, 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 a pore in the stone, right? Well, just, you know, you got thousands or millions or trillions of your water molecule buddies that are there with you. So the, 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 the surface of these pores has, you know, a bunch of chemicals or salts or who knows. You know, it's silicon dioxide and some aluminums and a couple of molybdenum molecules if the stone is blue and et cetera, et cetera. So the, the water can actually be attracted to these uh, surfaces. In other words, the, 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 you know, the thermodynamicist in me wants to explain it like, you know, a different way, but the overall energy state of the system will be lower if the water 
molecule sticks to the, the pore wall, right? And that's just like the universe prefers that. Like it's the preferred place for that water molecule to be. It, ra it would rather stick itself to the wall than fly around the room. You just kind of got to take my word on that. Right. And every stone is going to have a different level of attraction for these water molecules. Okay, so for sure, water that's in the air, in the room, is going to end up inside the stone just by, you know, vapor diffusion and, and normal physics in that way. But it gets a little worse than that. So, you know, these pores have all sorts of different sizes. You know, they're not uniform ever. You know, some pores are big, some are small. It's, you know, there's different sizes of crystals, you know, blah, blah, blah. So in the tiniest of these pores, right, the, the water, oxygen, and nitrogen molecules start having very little room to move around. Like that, we're no longer in the, in the Grand Canyon. We're now down on like the third stream up the hill that's only like, you know, a pencil's width <laughs> wide, right? Like that, that's where we are, or even less than that, so to speak. Um, when that happens, the, these individual molecules, these gas molecules, oxygen, nitrogen, and, and, and water vapor, can't move around in a normal way. And the forces of attraction between them and the sidewalls changes dramatically. This is where, uh, we get down to this area, where, uh, these are called van der Waals forces between these molecules that are constrained. And what happens is um, it, you can condense that liquid water at a much higher temperature than you would otherwise. So this would be like pulling a warm beer can out of the fridge and still seeing condensation on it, even though you know it shouldn't condense unless the beer was at 37 degrees, right? You know, so mm -hmm. The beer's now at 80 degrees, but you're still getting condensation. That's what happens in these incredibly tiny, tiny pores. And, if, and it's dependent on a bunch of things, temperature of the room, temperature of the stone, relative humidity uh, in the room, these sorts of things. Um, but if the relative humidity is high enough or long enough, um, you very well could uh, saturate the stone with water. Uh, that's, a, that's a real thing. Uh, it may take a good long time, but it will fill up. And, and down at the porous level, what happens is you fill up the tiniest pores first, and that's called capillary condensation. And as they fill up, like it, it, it brings this, this liquid meniscus, this, just like the, the shape of the water that you saw in the, the straw when you were in you know, eighth grade science class. Mm -hmm. yep. Imagine that inside the stone in the tiniest uh, pores. Well, that little meniscus, as it moves to the next largest pore, changes the physics of attraction between all these molecules. And those van der Waal forces just, you know, it, 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 it moves them out into the, the larger pores, and then they start filling up. And when that's filled up, it goes to the next largest pore, and that fills up, and then it just, like, continues in that way. Now, you know, I described the whole thing in just a couple of minutes there. In reality, that may take, you know, who knows, days, weeks, months, years. Uh, right depending on the stone and the pore sizes and a lot of other things. Um, and the reality is, like, you know, I don't know of anybody who keeps their room at, you know, 100% relative humidity all the time, except for maybe the, you know, the YMCA and their steam sauna or something. Right. And, you know, nobody cares <laughs> if this 
Who cares? Because you can't even see the spelling. Who cares? If it's, exactly. You know, stained, stained wet or not. So anyway, I probably spoke too much there. Uh, oh no. I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you ask some questions or lead me in another direction. There. No, no. That, 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 no. This is this is great information. This kind of the information I think our listeners uh, need to know because you know at, at, we've got all these. You know what marketing is like. I mean, you can't believe, and I'm not just picking on the sealer companies. It can be just about anybody. Uh, you know, you, you always can't believe. And I just want to back up a second and, and mention that I've, I've asked that question for years that you had mentioned before about what the perm rate is on these things. And uh, half the time they look at me like a you know a deer in the headlights. So what's a perm rate? And then that's when I walk away. <laughs> they don't know what they're talking, yeah. talking about. Yeah, no. well um... – one thing to keep in mind with that, and I mean, I ask too, you know, and you never, you don't ever get an answer. But, but then no. the, the, I'm going to recommend that the proper way to think about it is, whatever the perm rate is, it's less than it would have been without the sealer. Number one. Right. right. So that's like, but not arguably not the reason you use a sealer. Um, but like every stone type is going to have a different permeability with the same sealer. You know what I mean? Like yep. the combination of the sealer together with the stone is what's going to give you some specific perm rating. So I understand why they don't quote it because they would have to ask you like, oh, exactly what stone and oh, you know, where exactly. was it quarried and, you know, which corner of the quarry did it come out of? And, you know, they'd have to test the stone first, no sealer, and then the stone with sealer and that's and then they'd have to test it at multiple different relative humidity levels and multiple different temperatures and like you can you know it's it's very easy to realize quickly that oh there's you know 10 billion different measurements they'd have to do here this is not possible so all right i get it all right, let's, let's, i just let's, don't like it again, yeah i'm with you there believe me Let's talk yeah. a little bit about about the in, installation systems and how how water affects these, or how the installation system affects the the, the travel of, of moisture, et cetera. And you know, and that is, sure. you know, up to up to I don't know. I, I've been in this industry almost 40 years now, and you know, I remember back in the day when my dad used to do showers, and you know, we'd use white marble. We'd never had this issue. Now, of course, today we have new technologies. We have all kinds of new. Uh, especially shower systems, although we do have new floor systems as well. We have things like resin back tiles that we didn't have in the past. Uh, you know, it, all these factors come into play, and we could probably, you know, do a whole show just on some yeah. of those I- individually. But in your opinion, um, what has the new technologies done to moisture? And when I mean new technologies, you could, we can talk about impregnating sealers. We can talk about you know, the resin back materials, uh, things of that nature. So I know I gave sure. you a, a pretty broad question there, but. Yeah, that's fine. I'm going to be like a politician and answer the question. I, I say I heard. <laughs> there um, you go. So, I'll, cont- I'll contest those votes. <laughs> yeah. So guys like me like to say that there are no bad materials. There are only bad assemblies or poor installations. You know, in other words, pretty much all materials of, of every stripe, and I'm not just talking about tile, I'm talking about tile, grout, you know, inset, you know, waterproofing, you pick a pick a material. Um, they can all be made to be good 
if they're in the proper assembly um, and installed, you know, properly according to the manufacturer's recommendations. So, but with regard, like, let's let's back up to you and your dad, uh, you know, installing a, a marble floor in the past. Um, so, my guess is uh, your dad was a very smart, skillful guy. And who knows if he taught the roofers or the roofers taught him, but uh, two-stage drains are a stroke of genius for systems or assemblies like shower floors or roof assemblies, especially roofs that you walk on, like green roofs or terraced roofs, you know, that kind of thing. And and quite frankly, a flat roof that has a terrace on top a stone terrace is exactly like a shower floor, you know, and, and yep. like I said, I don't know who taught whom, um, <laughs> whether the, you know, the tile and, and plumbers taught the roofers or vice versa. But the, the, the basic idea of the sorts of systems that your dad did, I'm assuming, are that you kind of know that water is going to get underneath your stone surface. Yep. And you need to then put some holes in the side of your drain, you know, above the waterproofing membrane to allow that incidental water that's gone through the drain out and down and, you know, out to the sewer and the street. And that's pretty much the way it was done for a very long time. Um, And then there was this, I'm sort of proud and sort of embarrassed. There was this chemical engineer in Waterbury, Connecticut, who went on to found the Laticrete, company who invented thin set mortar and mm-hmm. uh thin, thin set mortar is basically just you know sand portland cement and rubber you know or latex rubber mixed in with it and you know i'm sure that you've talked about this probably a million times in past podcasts that just allowed uh for thin beds underneath uh right. tile installations rather than thick beds right right but now all of a sudden, you know, you no longer have this thick bed of po- very porous sand and cement. Uh, you have this this, this latex modified uh, sand cement glue, effectively. And the latex in that sand cement mixture drastically changes the porosity of that mixture, and it's two things happen. One, it's very much harder for liquid water to move through it. It just goes much more slowly because the pore sizes are different. And number two, it's very much harder for water vapor to move through. It's a, it's, it's hard. It's a little bit difficult to explain over the phone, but imagine you had like, uh, you know, an erector set but then you built a second erector set, like within the first erector set. So it was, you know, they, they're not technically touching each other, but they clearly, they're sort of one's inside of the other. Right. That's about the way you, sh- you should think about a latex additive. Now, you know, advance the clock from 1950 to 2020. Well, I don't know, are there 10,000 or 100,000 different additives that, you know, they put into uh, this this important cement sand mix to make thin set mortar. All I know is that there's 
thousands of them and good luck figuring out exactly what they are, you know, and good luck getting any manufacturer to tell you what their, you know, uh, ground unicorn horn dust is that they put into their, their stuff (laughs) and good luck and good luck understanding exactly like what it does or what the new porosity is or what the new vapor permeability is of this stuff. And this can wreak havoc in many different ways um, for anybody listening who has like a thin stone veneer on uh, any building they own, they probably have experienced stones falling off once in a while. And that's kind of the same thing as tile floors once in a while. The, um, the, that thin set is creating trouble when it combines with water at the interface between the thin set and the stone, typically. Um, now, tile floors, it's a little different. You get you know, you the, the, the mechanics of like, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody's experienced you know, tiles are also popping off, and that's, you know, it could very well be the exact same thing. Um, right. But in, in smaller tile floors, like the, the grout, quite frankly, holds things in pretty darn good, so that, that doesn't tend to happen as much. But you still have a lot of little cracks and crevices and gaps at edges and et cetera, et cetera. So water, you know, by all the methods and mechanisms I talked about earlier, gravity, capillarity, vapor, condensation, blah, 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 still gets into the assembly. It still gets into the stone. stone. It still gets into the grout. It still gets into that latex-modified thin set. But now that we have these modern materials, you know, number one, you probably changed your drain to a linear drain that has, you know, it doesn't have a second stage. It's a single stage drain. Mm-hmm. Um, and the water just doesn't move through that thin set uh, the way it would move through the, you know, old school uh, sand cement setting bed. Um, and it can just, you know, water that hangs around is mischievous. You're always better off giving water a place to go where it can't cause mischief and allow it to do that as fast as possible. Like that's the secret to success uh, most of the time. Um, I know Pasha's got a, a, a different assembly and I, I believe he is completely right for that assembly under those conditions. Um, but in many uh, applications, if you can do a, a thick porous bed with a two stage drain, like, that's great. Do it. Yep, I um, agree. So, anyway. now what about what about you know people are right now a lot of these mosaics almost 100 percent of them all have a mesh backing and they're they're also resin back. Uh, and yeah. how how you know yeah. since the resin is pretty much I hate to use the word waterproof because nothing's really waterproof in my opinion but uh, yeah how does it how does is. that how does how does water get through that particular um, installation when you have a resin back material? Um, it gets through in the same way uh, as applications that don't have it. It just get, it gets, uh, so, you know, sometimes those resins are across like a square foot of the tile, right? Uh, right. You know, it's a little one inch by ones and it's the whole thing. But typically, like, there's some flex. The resin is sort of cracked between those tiles. But oh, let's yeah. just imagine it's like a, a, a one-by-one square stone tile, okay? And it's resin-backed, right? 
Well, you still have a grout joint between all your tiles, right? Yep. And plenty of water can get through that grout joint. And if there's no secondary drainage, or even if there is secondary drainage, like water is going to get down below that, that tile and below that resin, either into the um, thin-set mortar or into the, the setting bed, right? So, right. okay, there's water there now. Well, in a system that allows the water to drain out, like, okay, you gave it a place to go. It'll get there eventually. But... Um, it goes, it, it's going to take longer. And the reason it takes longer is like that's, it, it's only way out either is by liquid flow to the drain or back up and out through the grout joint between the tiles, right? So imagine a, a shower floor. And let's say it's a big shower, like 10 foot by 10 foot square, right? It's 100 square feet. Well, the area of the grout joint is probably... I don't know, could it be five square inches or something? It's probably not. So what's that? That's like, you know, one-tenth of one percent of the floor area. So, you know, without the resin, arguably the vapor could move back up through the stone. It doesn't do it fast, but it can do it, and it, and it does happen. If the resin's there, when the, the thin set or the sand cement setting bed below the stone gets wet. It's going to get wet because there are cracks in the floor and et cetera. Right. It's only way to dry out now is through that one-tenth of one percent of the floor area. So will it dry out eventually? Sure. You know, you may have to wait for the second coming for it to happen, <laughs> but it'll happen eventually. Um, it just is incredibly slow. And, you know, I'm going to keep beating this dead horse like, Water is mischievous. Like if you give it time and something to fiddle with, it'll do it eventually. And it'll then, you know, move through the side of the, it'll go into the grout and then into the side of the stone. And then, you know, the stone looks damp. And then your client calls and says, you screwed up my stone or, you know, you sold me cheap stone or God, God only knows. And I say, no, 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 you just, Mr. Client, you just don't understand the physics. Like, let me give you this <laughs> physics book, and and you. There you go. That, by the way. <laughs> so, so I mean, obviously you know you know Pasha's opinion on sealers, and obviously you know my opinion on sealers. So, would would you also mm-hmm. recommend, um, you know, along with the type of assembly system that that uh, is being used, to really don't use a sealer on a on a shower on a shower floor. Well, uh, let me make sure I uh, – well, actually, uh, uh, you know, between Pasha's system and the kind of traditional system, I – no, I wouldn't. Um, you know, I don't see the great necessity for it. In other words, any stone that somebody thinks about using in a wet area, like if you need a seal around it, like you already went down a wrong path, right? Like, yep. Mm-hmm. You know, this, 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 <laughs> and ignoring that, like there is a huge amount of historical evidence that unsealed stone will behave and and function very well. Like I'm pretty sure, you know, the Greeks and probably even the Iraqis before them, and the Romans after them, and the French after them, like they did this for thousands of years. 
And by some miracle, they did it without the help of DuPont or you know, Dow Chemical. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the evidence would suggest that it's very possible. And that arguably, you know, you know, the, the addition you know, of sealer is, is more suspect than the non-use of sealer. Well, I can tell you, and actually, I, I did a I did a uh, an article on this very subject on uh, using sealers on exteriors, and I'm just a I'm just yeah. one that you know I get calls all the time. Should I seal this stone outside? And my my answer is usually hell no, <laughs> don't yeah. don't don't seal it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and then I give the same example yeah. you do. You know, as far as if it wasn't for the thieves, the uh, the Parthenon would probably still have marble on it. <laughs> but, yeah. um, yeah, yeah. But, um, I mean, I, it, I mean, I, uh, you know, sweat areas inside of a home are just one area that I, I, you know, work in, and you know, I'm quite frankly more frequently working on like stone veneers or brick veneers or stone chimneys or this kind of thing. And it's every designer I work with, they're like, "What about sealer?" And I always <laughs> tell them, I say, "Look, that's the last." thing there's like seven other things you should worry about before sealer if you do the other six things and you still want to use sealer go for it but like you don't need to and they all it's i i gotta say the sealer companies have done a great job of you know marketing themselves and etc um but the sealers aren't aren't the solution they're just another material that uh, like I said, you know, there's no bad materials. There's just bad assemblies. And in porous material that you know is going to get wet, like any reduction in its ability to dry out is a bad thing. You want maximum drying potential. Things are going to get wet. Just admit it. Like we should all be like, you know, uh, I don't know, water anonymous for the construction industry. Like, you know, hi, I'm porous material and I get wet. Like everything gets everything gets wet, and you just have to like know that before you go into the process. The trick is have your potential for drying out greater, and you know on a time basis greater, and a volume basis also, by the way, uh, right. greater than your potential for wetting. If your wetting exceeds your drying. Things will get wet and stay wet. If your drying exceeds your wetting, they'll dry out and everybody will be happy. So, yep. anyway, it's rare. So, but, so I mean, I, that's not the whole story. I, I hate to admit it. Like, sometimes there's salts and the, the salts stain things and blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, we, we haven't talked about just, salts. We haven't talked... We haven't talked about oxidation yeah. or any of that stuff. I've, I've done that on previous podcasts. But uh, let me yeah. ask you this. You know, Posh has been working on this total... All epoxy system, epoxy setting mortar, epoxy grout, and then a sealer on top mm-hmm. of that. And I know, I know he's going to do more work on, on that with some more modules. Uh, but what's your opinion there? In uh, overall, I think he's yeah overall uh, yeah using a total epoxy overall, system. I think he's, I think he's perfectly correct uh, for those systems, uh, and those systems are effectively a uh, you know when you when you have a translucent marble or translucent stone uh, that can absorb water or, or get water inside of it from the sides or the bottom. And it, it, he, what he's making is what a guy like me would call a barrier system. That's like, think about uh, those like glass 
uh, boxes that they put Apple stores in, like in the middle of New York City, right? right. That's a barrier system. You know, the, the glass and the caulk between the glass keeps the water out when it rains. Oh, in, in Pasha's system, this is a barrier system. Water, liquid water cannot get past the epoxy grout or the stone. Of course, the stone's porous. Water can get into those pores, as we've discussed. But now, because of the epoxy grout, there are no cracks. Like, that stuff is gooey and sticky and flexible and all the other great things. All right. Um, all right. So the, the 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 number and it's not porous. It's like zero porosity. It's it's right. it's sheet plastic when it all sets up. So that you've created a barrier. So and with his system, it's epoxy grout and it's also epoxy thin set. So there's no place for water to hang out, right? Even if you got ten molecules of water past some little crack, like it's got nowhere to go. So you just and can't I would, build up water. And I would think even if, you know, even if you do that system and even if you seal it, you know, and when I say seal, I mean the impregnators, if water does get in there, it'll probably evaporate quicker than a, than a system that doesn't have that. Is, is that correct And assuming that? Yes. Um, <clears throat> well, it's going to evaporate faster than a system that's got like non-epoxy more, uh, grout and non-epoxy thin set. Right. And the reason is you're, o- you're only – evaporating the water that's in the stone. So, you know, the water in the stone doesn't sort of fall quickly to the underside of the stone. It, it's hard for water to go through these tiny pores. So, it, you know, you might get a little in the top of the stone, and, you know, but then you, you pull the plug on the, the shower floor or whatever, or you stop taking a shower, it drains down the drain. There might be a little water in the top, you know, a couple of millimeters of stone. But now it can dry out and there's no additional water coming up from below or from the sides. You no longer, like you just have less water. So, you know, you reduced your wetting uh, potential and you maintained your drying potential. So you, you tipped that balance of wetting and drying. It's just more favorable for drying. Right. Or being dry, I guess I should say. So there you go. Yep. Now, all right. Um, go ahead. I I do like talking to Pasha about the sealers on those floors. I'm I'm of the opinion that the reason the sealer helps in that assembly, and I, I'm pretty sure I'm getting this right. Pasha's probably like screaming into his radio right now that uh, <laughs> he he believes the that assembly uh, functions better with a particular sealer on the stone. Right. Right. My my opinion is that it functions better because it reduces the amount of wetting and it reduces the amount of wetting of the stone by just allowing the water to sheet off the stone a little faster rather than hanging out on the stone, meaning that the surface of the stone with the sealer on it is hydrophobic. So it's kind of like a super hot frying pan. You drop a tiny little drop of water on it and it dances around a while before it evaporates or, you know, the pan wasn't quite so hot, it would just evaporate real fast. It's kind of what sealer does to a surface. It makes it doesn't, the water doesn't like it as much. So it literally runs across the surface faster and gets to the drain faster. So, you know, if you're not putting a plug in your shower floor, it's helping 
you know, get this mischievous water to another place where it can't cause trouble faster. But my opinion is that sealer is reducing the quantity of water that gets into the stone to begin with, and therefore it dries out even faster, and that's the reason that assembly works better. It's not, it's not as if the sealer improved the drying potential. If anything, it reduced the drying potential. But the fact that it's on the surface of the stone helps reduce the wetting potential. So it makes sense. But and his, I'm a consultant, you know. These are opinions. <laughs> and well, his experiments are showing that. And actually, he just messaged yeah. me just so you know. Uh, he's still talking to you. He said it's 100% correct. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, you, you and I probably still have another dart being thrown at us. So uh, that's that's another story. Okay. So yeah, let's yeah. go ahead. <laughs> let's go ahead and recap things. Um, you know, we we talked about you know the physics and chemistry of of well, pretty much the physics more than the, more than the chemistry of water. Um, so, in in conclusion, then, what would you recommend to an installer out there that's going to go in and and do it do a shower? Well, that could be anything—a shower, a floor, or whatever. What, what would be your 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 recommended? Sure. How do I say this? Pros and cons? Uh, I would just call it assembly. So uh, this this question is fraught with difficulty. And um, to give you some idea, like every project I'm involved with, this comes up. Um, and um, it, it, I was just working on exactly this, uh, this question on a project uh, yesterday and today. And I always have to start the answer with the following, like, okay, first things first, you have to tell me exactly what kind of stone you're using and exactly what kind of drain you're using. (laughs) You know, if you're using an absolute black granite and a two-stage drain, ah, I got choices, or, you know, but if this is a slab marble floor and it's, uh, you know, white Carrara, I'm like, ah, oh, okay, that's different. So, but not to, just, just a lot of, and then, you know, the wall, same thing. Anyway, long story short, if it's a uh, translucent marble um, and you either don't have the room or you're drain is such that you can't put a two-stage drain in, a single-stage drain, like these, these modern, you know, linear drains, right. then I, I recommend exactly what Pasha has come up with. 100% solid epoxies, uh, thin set, 100% solid epoxy, um, grout. I, I don't differ from Pasha on the sealer. I just get a little nervous about it because yeah, there's one that I'm okay with, but I don't control what the contractor buys and, like, you know, who's really checking them. Right. Um, so I'm like, I don't really know about all the others. And once you deviate from, like, something I know is working into a different sealer, I'm like, ooh, now I really don't know what that's doing to the permeability, you know. So that I and get they, nervous about the sealers. Yep. And then they all differ, and there's literally yeah. hundreds of them out there. Right. So absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. The, 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 the epoxy grouts and uh, thin sets 
no. That's like if you go, you know, 100% solid topography, like you're, you're yep. set. Um, yep. that, that's worked out. Now, if, um, if they say, no, 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 we're putting in a beautiful old school two-stage drain and we got plenty of room and we, you know, framed the floor down and we can put a six-inch bed or whatever you want in, I'm like, great. That's, you know, it, if your contractor is comfortable with that and he's done it before and had success, go for it. Go ahead and yep. do that. It's going to be okay. Um, so, but, you know, I kind of wrapped up a lot of design decisions. Quite frankly, you have to have to be thought of like before the house is framed. You know, like if you need to drop the floor for a shower stall, like guess yep. what? Your structural engineer has to be involved in and you got a different floor joists and blah blah blah. Um, so it's a it's a little complicated, but I love Pasha's system. I believe in it. It works. I love the old school system. I believe in it. It works. Just don't mix the two. <laughs> and unfortunately, that That's happens a lot with the in- inspections that I do. That's it's cool. some of the nightmares I've seen, and I'm sure you see, are just uh, unbelievable. Now, you know, we, we don't have the time, but we didn't talk about, and I want I want everyone to understand too that there are there are other issues that that can concern you know stone installations and showers. I mean, one of the things I've seen for years in a traditional system is block weep holes. Uh, where hair gets in there and waxes and soaps and everything. So, uh, you know, before you start blaming someone, you know, putting sealer on a, on a, on a shower floor, check the other things that can occur too. You know, how, how, like you said, the assembly, check the assembly. And part of the assembly in in that traditional system is weep holes. And uh, they quite commonly get, get clogged a lot. I've seen, seen that quite a bit. You know, Dr. Houston, if you want to hear something really controversial, I actually prefer specifying a natural hydraulic lime cement instead of Portland cement. Really? In, in a sand cement setting bed. Yeah. I think the chemist. Now, would, would, you, would you would you worry about? Um, I'm I'm sorry you went there. Uh, would you would you would you, <laughs> would you worry about efflorescence or calcium deposits with with that type of mortar? Um, I worry less. It's the reason I. Okay. I like it. Yep. Why I ask a question. <laughs> um, I know, I know everybody immediately associates uh, lime with efflorescence, right? That's the thing. Well, you know, the salt yeah. is white. Uh, that's efflorescence. <laughs> Got to be lime. And, and lime, yeah, I've seen that bag of lime, you know, that the Masons use, and it's white. It must be the same thing. Um, it's, this, uh, it almost never is, by the way. Um, yep. And this is a long chemistry discussion and this and that. Um, but uh, it's been my experience, and I am of the opinion that what's called natural hydraulic lime, which is just it, 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 it's cement. It's just not Portland cement. Um, right. And it has a, just a slightly different chemistry, and it's the same stuff that the Romans used and the Greeks used and the same stuff everybody in the United States used up until about, you know, 1910 or so. Um, and, yes, it's got lime in it, but what it does not have in it is gypsum, and it does not have some of the other chemicals that come along with Portland cement that gets fired at an extremely high temperature relative to mm-hmm. natural hydraulic line. So I'm of the opinion that it makes a, a superior uh, glue, so to speak, cement for these kinds I, of assemblies that I, agree. That I know I mean, are going to get wet. One, one of my specialties is historic stone restoration, and we recommend that all the time. Yeah. And 
Yep, it worked back in the past, and uh, it works still today. You know, so, but we, we that's a I'm whole sure other topic, a whole other topic altogether. Yeah. Well, Foster, we're we're yeah, running yeah, yeah. short on time here, but man, I tell you, this was really great. Uh, I'd love to have you back on at a future time to talk about uh, some other things uh, concerning building building science. But uh, again, thank you, thank you very much. Well, thank you. It was a great honor, and uh, it was fun for me. I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Very good. Bye. All righty, folks. Uh, there we have it. Uh, great, great uh, uh, information in there, and uh, uh, you may want to go listen to this over and over and over again. So, folks, uh, I'm going to take a quick break here, and I'll be right back with some uh, other announcements. Thank you, Tough Skin, one of our gold sponsors. Marble etches and stains. Tough Skin guarantees it will not. Toughskin provides a unique product and installation service anywhere in the USA with a proprietary stone laminate products. They protect marble countertops with an acid, oil, and waterproof guarantee. That's right, it's now possible to install marble, onyx, and travertine countertops without the worry of etching and staining from common household items like wine, lemon, coffee, or other acidic foods. People have been trying to figure this out for thousands of years, and Toughskin Surface Protection has done it. Available in gloss and satin to match the countertop finish. Visit them online at toughskinprotection.com. That's T-U-F-F skinprotection.com to learn more. Alrighty, folks, that about wraps things up for uh, for this week's show. Uh, I do want to mention that if you were a little bit confused with the topic we were talking about, to go back and listen to uh, several of the other podcasts that we've done on this subject with Pasha, and that'll kind of clear some of the maybe clear some of the thing, things up. Uh, also, you know, Pasha has written a really nice article on Tile Letter last I think it was last month or this month. I can't remember. If you go to Tile Letter, you'll be able to find it. I have a couple of uh, articles uh, as well. So there's there's finally a lot of information on this particular topic. So folks, uh, thanks for listening. Until next time, keep setting those tiles, polishing that stone, fabricating those tops. Later, my friends. Are you looking for quality greenstone working products? ESP sells many lines of fine quality, environmentally safe products. Stone Pro, NB Stone Care, Bondstone and Touchstone Adhesives, more Stone Care products, Easy Care products, and Better Bio, which is over 80% bio-based and approved by the USDA. For more info, visit ESPSales.net. That's ESPSales.net. Are you tired of lugging dozens of stain removal chemicals around to remove stains from stone, tile, or concrete? Did you know you only need three chemicals to remove almost any stain? From organic stains to inorganic stains, Dr. Fred's Ultimate Stain Removal Kit is all you need. The kit contains three reagents and includes a detailed ebook on how to remove almost any stain. So if you're trying to remove difficult ink or rust or simply coffee and other food stains, this kit is all you need. To order, contact Dr. Fred at 321-514-6845. One kit is $69.95 plus shipping.